Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Live at the Nut Bar. You're here with uh, JB and... I'm David Cunningham, the chief squirrel at Squirrel. JB, you're the... I guess founder. Yep. And um, today, look, topic dear to my heart, we're going to talk about um, house prices. You know, it's, it's always an emotive topic and there's always two sides to the argument, right? Yeah, yeah. So JB sort of threw me this challenge to argue for why property prices are going to keep falling. Now, that may not have been my view going into this, but actually, I surprised myself. <laughs> JB, what, what's your side of the equation you're arguing well, for? Well, I, I guess I'm going to argue that I've bottomed out. Um, but look, probably the place to start is, I, I think it's about building a framework because what I'd observe is that, you know, there's always so much commentary on house prices often it's just little sound bites and you never really fully develop a sense for whether house prices are going up down how far they could fall um there's always these perspectives but no one's really bringing it together so i thought it was an opportunity for us to really dig into it mm. explore lots of different aspects of of what drives house prices and i i don't know i, I have no preconception of where we'll end up <laughs> um, um. Uh, look, I, 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 my starter for 10 would be, you know, like if we get back to economic fundamentals, you know, house prices are largely driven by what people can afford. Right. And, and I think, you know, the way it works is really interesting because if you think about the economic prosperity of a country, it largely, well, ultimately flows through into uh, incomes. Uh, and then through those incomes, it, it flows through to property prices. And the, the thing that's really interesting for me about um, property generally is that if you look in the long term and you took a long term view of house prices, um, there's a really, really strong correlation with incomes. And it basically says that Kiwis spend about 40 to 45% of their um, disposable income on property and right. servicing property. Right. Right. So with interest rates being so, well, having come down, like when I got my mortgage 30 something years ago, my interest rate was 15.3%. Yeah. Um, uh, so obviously interest rates fell a long way. Um, so the proportion of my disposable income on that mortgage at that time was much lower. But of course, property prices went up, incomes changed and so on. And right now, interest rates are really high. And they aren't going down anytime soon. They might start to fall next year, but we're not yep. talking 2 or 3 or 4%. No. So isn't that an argument for with, with such a high proportion of income and actually still continuing to rise for prices to continue falling because you know today I think New Zealanders are paying about four percent on their mortgage because we've all locked in interest rates for you know decent periods those are all rolling off and you know the best rate today is over six percent around six percent so you're arguing for property prices to fall I think JB <laughs> <laughs> oh look yeah I mean if you look at it if you look at it uh, at, at the highest level yeah absolutely I, well, I mean I was, I was certainly expecting house prices to fall because there's such a strong correlation between interest rates and house prices. Mm. I mean, fundamentally, mm. if, you, if you break it down, I, I mean, look, if we take a step back, you know, what, what, what causes property prices to increase is fundamentally a lack of supply yeah. and people bidding 
prices up to the maximum price that they're prepared to yeah. pay, right? So economics 101, supply and demand. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. lack of supply because it takes a long time to build houses, so when you need more houses, like when immigration's strong, yep. you've got a shortage and uh, people want to buy. And if the interest rate's really low, they're happy to pay more, I suppose, which is what we saw post-COVID, post I guess. Yeah, yeah. well, we've seen, I think we've seen it in plenty of cycles, which is, which is basically people bidding bidding the price up to the maximum that they're prepared to pay and 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 you know i i i'm not a big fan of options and i and i hate the fact that kiwis are prepared to pay as much for property as they are because we're just buying property off each mm. other right i mean the the fundamental value of the mm. assets not really shifting it's just you've created a mm. Uh, a competitive environment where people are bidding away literally every spare cent they've got yeah. to try and secure a property. And yeah, if you think about COVID, we, we certainly saw it during that period, right? Where, where Kiwis were just outbidding each other. Yeah. I mean, we've all been in those auction rooms where there's been, you know, 10, 15 people. Yeah. Hey, so JB, a, a good argument for why property prices are going to keep falling, I reckon. But hey, <laughs> here's the thing I reckon that commentators overlook and that is as human beings we've got this tendency to anchor so we anchor expectations yep. based on what we know so if you listen to the media they'll tell you that property prices are down 15 percent from the peak yep. all they've done is anchor against this thing called the peak and so we all think the price we've been offered for our house is not what it's worth because we've got in our mind it was worth you know and at the peak, the average New Zealand house was worth one $1,064,000. Yeah. 1st of January, 2020, just before the G, uh, COVID, um, the average was 729000 So we had a 46% increase from January 20 over the following two years, and we've had a 15% decrease since then. So net on net, we're up 25%. Now explain to me why house prices should be 25% higher when there was zero migration for a couple of years, yes, it's just picked up, but a lot of students and tourists are sort of cool in those numbers. Why should property prices be 25% higher than they were pre-COVID uh, when you haven't had in any increase in demand? More people wanting houses. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I, I, I think um, if we look at it at the moment, you've got uh, probably from an, a, a nominal since you're down about 20% in Auckland and Wellington, uh, less so in the rest of the country, albeit yesterday, uh, I think Christchurch just reported its biggest fall in house prices in 14 years. Not right. all markets in, in New Zealand sort of respond at the same time and, the, and in the same way, yeah. right? I, yeah. I think historically we've always sort of had this view that Auckland tends to move first and then everywhere else follows. Wellington's a, is a really fascinating example because it languished for years. Mm. Prices mm. didn't move anywhere mm. and then more than any other market, it had that huge burst through um, COVID. But Wellington's got some interesting dynamics. It's obviously the center of government, a lot of government employees. Uh, interestingly, a lot of people don't realize that income's got the high, uh, Wellington's got the highest per capita income in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right, they're different dynamics. The, the st here are some of the stats actually, net on net from pre-COVID to now. Yes, there were big rises, but big falls. So New Zealand prices are 25% higher. Auckland prices are 19% higher. Christchurch, here's, here's, here's one. This is the March data. The mm. April might have just come out. But Christchurch, 45% higher. So up 50, over 50% 50 
and then down seven, but I think you're sort of indicating that there's the latest, very latest data is for those to, to fall. But of course, leading into that, you'd see very stable Christchurch prices yeah. after the surge post-earthquake. Wellington is only up 10% on pre-COVID, interestingly. And my hometown of Kapiti, up the coast from Wellington, is up 23%. So, you know, Hamilton plus 23%. So I guess you've got the average of about 25%. You've got Christchurch 45%, and you've got Wellington 10 you know. Um, where's the best place to live? Christchurch, the worst <laughs> is Wellington. <laughs> but I guess this is a forward-looking view. So, you know, back to those was 25%, what's the justification for 25% increase in property prices? Yeah, oh, look, well, <laughs> well, who knows, right? I, well, I think what about construction costs? So, you know, here, here's- well, it's gone a, through the roof. Here's, here's a fact. So there's a fantastic index that CoreLogic with Cordell produce, and it's called the Construction Cost Index. And actually, I mean, almost countering my argument that property prices have got further to fall, in that period since uh, January 20, before COVID, the Construction Cost Index is up 21% yeah. compared to the CPI, which is up 17%. So if you sort of think CPI is up 17%, incomes maybe up around, you know, over time will end up up 20%, the construction costs. So to replace my house costs 21% for more, maybe that 25 versus 21, maybe house prices are pretty much fairly priced now, looking at the cost to rebuild. Yeah, well, it, could, it could be getting closer. Right? The, the interesting thing from my perspective is that um, it, there's a couple of things that you've got to factor in, right? And this isn't this isn't saying this is good. It's just reality. Is that um, you know, not everyone can buy. Yeah, so there's a there's a there's a significant part of our population that is removed from the housing market. So when we talk about participation in the housing market, we're not talking about all Kiwis and we're not talking about averages. The simple fact is that you know there's only a there's only a, a proportion of our population that is participating in the housing market in terms of purchasing property. So what you're sort of saying is the rental market's a hugely important part of the market because we all need a roof over our heads. Oh, abs abs absolutely. So and what's, what's happening in that market then is, you know, because they were, you know, it was the investors were the bad guy, weren't they, during this boom in property prices and you had all these bright line tests and change of interest, deductibility and migrants. And, know, and, and, and they still are the bad guy from a policy perspective. So, I mean, you know, interest deductibility is still getting removed. Um, so, you know, for, for property investors with existing stock, it's, it, it's certainly getting harder and harder. Well, that's good harder. for the market, though, in terms of property investors now. It, it really makes the most sense, unless you're a cash buyer, to, to, to purchase a new build, which increases oh. the stock of housing. So is that government policy working well, in well, some ways, you could argue. Well, I, I, I certainly think it is. I mean, it's interesting from a government perspective. We're jumping all over the place here. But look, it's interesting from a government perspective because, you know, at the end of the day, I think as Kiwis, we want stable house prices. Mm. Uh, we want certainty and um, we want affordability, right? We, we need an increase in housing stock and we need better quality houses. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you'll find anyone argue against that. And from a political perspective, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's a pretty strong argument, I think, that uh, you know, uh, what Labor did with the removal of interest deductibility is probably the single biggest thing that uh, will contribute towards both increasing housing supply and, and holding house prices down. Yeah, so more stock as opposed to trading the existing stock. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, so interesting then talking about new dwelling consents because sort of, you know, we, there's sort of a scenario a bit like what we're in now, which was the GFC. And post-GFC, 
um, uh, new dwelling consents each month pre-GFC pre were around two to 3,000, and they dropped to about 1,000 a month for two or three years post-GFC. They've since climbed to sort of well over 4,000, but are sharply coming off again. Are we headed for a you know, 1,000 a month type construction, which would be the opposite of what you've described in terms of you know, what, what, what is government policy, the economy, interest rates done and likely to do to new dwelling consent because that's the supply side of the supply and demand equation too well, isn't it yeah yeah well totally so so i guess what we're seeing at the moment is a is a very significant reduction in uh construction activity which is typical and it's, it's typical of the new zealand cycle right we we kind of um we kind of run into a recessionary environment and very quickly <laughs> kill our construction sector um, and, and, and that's repeating itself. I mean, there's not a lot of projects getting out of the ground mm, at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, so especially those big, um, big, big projects that are, you know, 50, 100 plus um, dwellings, so you know, high-rise apartments and all that yeah. sort of stuff. There's next to nothing going on yeah, apart from projects and, on the go. Is that and right? to be honest, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of that over the last four or five years. And, you know, what, what really happens, if you go all the way back to the GFC, the GFC, you know, there was a lot of high density development in the inner city, apartment buildings and all that sort of stuff, right? But um, look at how many people are doing apartment buildings now. Hardly any, if any, right? Um, it's very difficult to sell off plan. Mm. And apartment buildings take, you know, the planning process and construction process for that end to end is probably about three mm. years. Mm. We're just not building that So way. we're sort of headed for a um, supply, what's the opposite of a glut? Um, well, <laughs> shortage, shortage. supply shortage, which I guess is an argument for why, you know, as migration picks up, you know, so I guess migration's a bit of an unknown. And, you know, yes, we're running it, you know, we ran at 50,000 people a year for quite a few years, you know, after the post-GFC recession sort of period. So we had really strong immigration. It spiked to almost 100,000 just before COVID. It has been zero, but we're at about 50,000 annualised at the moment. Do you think that's going to continue? So, because, you know, if there's 50,000 people arriving every year, that's, what, 20,000 houses we need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, look, what, well, I guess a big determinant of what happens with house prices, given the fall in supply you've just talked about, with fewer and fewer developments getting it, getting out of the ground, is that we'll, a shortage will develop pretty quickly I guess well the, and that's that's what we've seen in the past right but what you know it's kind of interesting because you you know if you think about you know New Zealand and I think particularly about Auckland you get the urban sprawl so you get kind of all of these new suburbs sort of building up on the outskirts of the city um, and that's got more and more expensive and, and, and harder and harder to do um, then you, you you know historically I guess you would expect it to push up in the middle with apartments and high density stuff, but we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen it for you know a decade now, it, 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 with any significance. Yeah. So it was a hell of a lot of projects pre GFC that ended up, um, you know, it went dead the market pretty much for you know yeah, five what, years, and it then it sort of has recovered. A but bit, you know what, what, still... what's kind of interesting is you know so what happened is most Kiwis pushed into this kind of townhouse development. And they started uh, mm. buying 800 square meter lots and putting mm. your eight terrace townhouses on it. And in a way, I think that was a big driver for that surge that we saw around the um, around COVID. Mm. Was uh, we, we just saw a massive 
push into terrace townhouse development sort of around the fringes of the city. Then mm. you have some pretty pretty big developers jumping into that space. But that's where that's where a lot of the tension's been. And we, you know, we saw land prices go crazy off the back of that. Mm. Now that's unwinding at the moment. That's been unwinding for probably what, the last the 12 months. The land prices or the amount of development? or oh, I think both. land prices because, yeah. you know, once you pull the developers out of the yeah, property market, yeah. house prices have been falling, right? Yeah. And, and um, I guess those development margins have just disappeared, you know, with prices in Auckland down, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. You know, yeah. The, the cost to build, as we talked about, is up 21%. What I'm earning, you know, you know, relative, you know, compared to the peak, it looked fantastic as a developer. Now it looks blimmin' awful, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and it could look worse, right? So, so I who, think... Who might take up that slack? I've heard quite a bit of noise about Tanga Aura, um loans and, and doing a lot of construction. What's happening there? Is uh, look, Kangor is doing a bit. Um, they're certainly doing a bit of underwriting and, and getting more involved. But I think it's still very much on the fringes. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing really at scale happening in the market. Right. And, and so is this the time the government should actually be doing the Kiwi Build, you know? Because <laughs> Kiwi Build was sort of put in place when there was massive demand for building services and all that, they built next to no houses, but is now the time for the government to step in and, and go, hey, we'll soak up that excess demand that probably is going to emerge. Is that something that they should be thinking about? And secondly, is it something well, they have capability to I, yeah, deliver? We're, we're, I guess whether or not they have the capability to do that, right? But I mean, look, what, 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 if, you, if you sort of put it into a, into a nutshell, We've, we've got increasing immigration, you know, we're up to in excess of 50,000 net migration again um, at a time where building activity is, is dropping rapidly. So we headed um, there, for a really obvious outcome. There is, there is surplus stock out there at the moment, um, but that will get mopped up. It's really interesting seeing the inner city in Auckland because apart, the apartment market's been pretty weak for the last few years. And it's actually been quite easy to get a rental in the Auckland CBD for the last um, couple of years because all the students disappeared, right? Yeah, all and it's, it's, changing rapidly. it's changing rapidly. So, so talking to a property manager a couple of days ago, you know, they were quite open to short-term tenancies right. um, because they just wanted properties yeah, filled. Um, the vacancy yeah. rate now in the inner city is, is getting okay. down to historic lows yeah. and so, they're pushing so what, back. So what about rental yields? Um, you know, here's another stat for, for you, you know, realise I like the numbers, but... If we index rental prices back to January 20, again pre-COVID, no. the rental price index has gone from 100 to just under 111, so 11% up. Yeah. Prices are net 25-ish percent up. Construction costs are 21% up. Interest rates have gone from what, 3% to 2 to 3% to 6 to 7%. What's the deal for rental? property buyers, even even new new builds, you know, those rental yields must look awful compared to the uh, to the to the um, servicing cost and so on. Yeah, I, I look I so I, I agree. I think we're seeing it in the numbers, aren't we? You know, the proportion of um, purchases by investors has fallen pretty dramatically and first home buyers has sort of risen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look I think I, I mean um, you yeah, know how how far could house prices fall? Um, you know, there there are parts of this market where you know there could be more room for prices to fall because I, I, I just fundamentally come back to supply and demand, and there are parts of this market where um, you'll have more sellers than buyers, 
and, and I think that that risk still exists in parts of the market where it's predominantly investors that are mm. buying and selling from each other. Right. Because you know the, the, the tax implications of buying secondhand property mm. are pretty significant. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, areas for me like South Auckland and stuff uh, uh, have still got a lot of downward pressure on them uh, because there's no natural buyers. Yeah. What, are, what about unemployment then? Because I guess that's something that's really low from a credit perspective for, yep. for banks. You know, they, they make the most money when unemployment's really low and as unemployment rises is when they start to sort of take credit losses. And actually we've seen in the last week banks start to make much bigger credit provisions yeah so I guess and the Reserve Bank has said they're trying to engineer a recession and push unemployment up so you know that's got to be naturally a downward trend on house prices then doesn't it you know well, the certainty of income you know yes, high so interest rates certainty of income yes and no like if you if you think about um, like I, I, I think the reality of so there's a couple of interesting things here right so the first is we need to talk about real house prices because at the moment uh, mortgage interest rates are actually below inflation. So we're right. actually yeah. on negative interest rates. Yeah. In other words, your, your debt is deflating yeah. quite rapidly at the moment. Yeah, the best time with high inflation uh, to have lots of debt is when inflation's high because, it, it, yeah, nice, nice insight. Yeah. Uh, ne negative interest rates, you know. So um, your mortgage in real terms is deflating. Yeah. So I'm effectively paying, and so long as house prices are rising, actually. But <laughs> well, that's it, right? So, 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 what happens? You know, so I guess the thing is, in the short term, no one's expecting house prices to take off again, right? Uh, but, but the the reality is, it's interesting because if you look over the last ten years, and I, I'm probably going back a little bit because I haven't looked at this data for a while, but I know that the last time I looked at this. The average household income in Auckland over the last 10 years was going up 5.5% year on year. So we had, we had increasing incomes with decreasing interest rates. And that's why I sort of say you, it's very challenging when you just look at the market without breaking it out and starting to think about what's going on in different parts of that market because the reality is the part of the market that participates in housing and is buying and selling, whether that's as an owner-occupied or it's as an investor, it's not the whole market. It's a part of the market that's probably experiencing higher than average income growth mm. uh, and, and has got access to capital mm. uh, and, and has experienced very low interest rates over the last few years that have unwound. Mm. But if we think that we're at the top of an interest rate cycle uh, and we think that interest rates are peaking at 6.5% and our sense is that house prices are starting to bottom out mm. uh, and in nominal terms are down 20%, but in real terms, yeah. are down about 30. Yeah, but having risen 50, so net on net, you know, like still, I said, up, still up, up. up 25, but costs are up 21. So, yeah, they're actually pretty similar to where they were. Yeah. And, and, and incomes inc have been rising. And incomes have been rising. And, um, and you know, we're getting uh, and will probably continue to rise at a reasonable click, yeah. uh, as they have done over the past 10 years, then is now a good time yeah. to at least be looking at the market, yeah. right? Yeah. So prices aren't going to surge upwards, but they're not going to plunge downwards is probably where we're landing on this. They're probably forming a bottom right now, <sighs> you know, whether we were, you know, we, we certainly haven't got another 10% to run. We've possibly got, you know, 5%. Well, the other know. side, the, the other side of it, and I, I just a case study of one myself, right, is that, look, I was, I was looking to sell a property last year. 
and uh, I think at, at the peak of the market, I, I probably would have got about 2.1 million for it, right? Um, I couldn't sell it at the peak of the market because I had a 10-year bright line test I had to get through. <laughs> so You so, probably would have been better off I, to pay I, I the know. bloody tax, JB. I, I know, I know, I know. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. So, um, so look, I, I went to sell the property uh, early last year. Ironically, I got a cash offer on at 1.6 and I was dumb enough not to take it at the time. Harry Hindsight's a great trader. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But uh, anyway, look, um, I think we were being pretty realistic. I, I thought we were at least. Um, we went and got a registered valuation done on it um, at, at 1.8, and we were quite happy to let it go at 1.8, maybe even 1.7. Mm. Um, I don't think I got another offer on it after, after February. Uh, just ridiculous offers, you know, one point. So is the moral of the story, I don't know where it's going, but is it that don't take JB's advice on <laughs> buying, buying it, take his advice on mortgages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, but, but no, the, 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 point I'm getting, the point I'm getting to, well, the, the, the point I'm getting to is that, um, you know, look, we were prepared to sell that at a, at a reasonable discount to where peak was, probably 20% down, right? Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, I probably would have taken 1.6 for it. And ironically, that was the first offer we got. Um, but um, we decided to pull it off the market because we weren't getting any reasonable offers. Uh, and within a day of listing it for rent, we had 10 inquiries mm. and we had it uh, rented out uh, within a week. Uh, at $1,000 a week. So was and that cash flow positive taking account of interest costs in there? It's, it's well, not cash flow positive, but... It the, was a good alternative, I suppose, is what you're saying. But, you know, we tipped in a small pot of cash just to keep it ticking over for the next year. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we'll just keep it ticking over yeah, now. And yeah. it, look, it, it, it reached a point where the opportunity cost of selling at a discount exceeded maybe just tipping a bit of cash in to, to keep the property ticking mm -hmm. over. I suppose that's a sort of an interesting insight is that whilst rentals haven't surged at the same amount, they relentlessly sort of go up because there's plenty of sort of demand and so on. And so uh, although property prices are falling, rental prices aren't falling, and so the, you know that value to the investor sort of starts to increase. What about LVR changes? Because you know you'd argue that would bring more first home buyers back in market, or is it meaningless because they can't afford the interest? Well, so here's the interesting thing about human psychology, right? Is that um, everyone sits on the fence uh, and, and gets back on the fence and that the need for housing never disappears, right? Mm -hmm. People need to upgrade, they outgrow their houses, they have kids. Um, first home buyers are always coming into the market. Migrants are always coming into the market. Um, you know, the, the need for housing never goes away. What happens is that at, at times when everyone's nervous and, and afraid of the market, they'll go and sit on the fence. Mm. And then ironically, they all rush back in at the same time, right? Because they all start to build up confidence at the same time. Mm. And we see these massive swings mm. that occur in the housing markets. People rush in and rush out. Now, on the other side of that, you've got the sellers in the market. And, and unless people are desperate, unless people have to sell, mm. what you see happen in this market is people just exit it. You know, they don't, go, don't put the house on the market. Which, which is, is exactly what I did last year. Yeah, so that explains why we've got a property market turnover that's been the lowest in 40 years. People are 
it yeah. freezes. It, yeah. free, it literally freezes. Yeah. And so yeah. um, people just exit the market and you get low activity levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's interesting this time is we've had the market freeze before. This has been the single highest, you know, or biggest price decline. Like we didn't see a price decline like we've seen in the last year during mm. the GFC, right? Mm. Similar, mm. market froze. Mm. Um, but we didn't see the price decline, but equally we just didn't see the price increase yeah. prior to it. And we didn't see the shift in interest rates that we've seen this time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so probably time to wrap up. If I sort of do a bit of a summary of some of the things we've talked about, and then uh, you can have the last word, JB. So I guess uh, first point is, you know, we do risk anchoring our expectations based on recent experience, but here's the facts. New Zealand house prices rose 46%, then dropped 15%. Uh, over the last three years and net on net they're 25% up. But arguably that's fair given the cost to build a house has gone up 21% over that time, so to replace that housing stock would would cost more. Um, yep, and f uh, migration disappeared post uh, during COVID, but it's bounced back really strongly and it's hard to see a scenario where that doesn't continue actually. You know, we, we typically do get 50,000 plus migrants a year over the long run and so you know, that's a demand factor that will sort of underpin house prices and new building. Um, I guess we've got construction coming off the boil and as that demand grows, you know, less supply means, you know, that probably also underpins sort of the housing market. Um, interest rates are almost certainly at their peak, so things can get better. But flip side of that is a lot of households have still got the pain of higher interest rates to come through. Um, and I think an important point of oh, rental price inflation is going to keep going even if house prices are sort of stable so it becomes a perhaps better proposition for the investor um, and I think probably your you know your key point one of your key points JB was that in real terms <laughs> you know uh, interest rates are actually below inflation and so you know inflation's eating away at the cost of your debt so where does that leave us what, what, what's your guess on <laughs> you know because it is sort of as a guess but based on a whole lot of facts and so on about supply demand factors and affordability and all that but there's the human also, need for housing so what's yeah. happened to house prices in the next six and twelve months jb oh geez what pressure um look i i i i think uh entry level house prices uh don't really shift as much as other parts of the market. You're underlying that you've got immigration and first home buyers that are going to support that part of the market. So I think the price will basically done. We're seeing a lot yep. more activity in that space, and and I think the value for money is is better. Yeah. So um, that's the set of half million to three quarters of a million, depending on where you are in the country. That lower end of the market, the bottom sort of. Yeah, I'll look anywhere, and like if we took the Auckland market anywhere up to probably about 1.1, 1.2 oh, million. Really? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, that's that. You know, yep. Look, the, the, the thing is, I mean, we, we talk about averages, and the, and the risk with that is that we always kind of. Um, the, the world isn't averages. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like, um, you know, just take a couple of uh, young professionals in the Auckland market will probably have combined household income of at least 160 to 170,000. Mm. So they can't afford that 1.1 million. Um, yeah. KiwiSaver has yeah. been, you know, a godsend for yeah. first home buyers in this country. Yeah. It means that they've got decent deposits. So that part of the market, you'd sort of say bottom is formed or forming. I think bottom. the bottom's forming on that part yeah. of the market. Um, where I think you've seen the biggest price decreases is a classic 800 square metre site mm. that was largely driven by property developers over the last couple of years in terms of how high those prices got. Those are, those are down 
minimum 20% probably more. I, mm. I think that part of the market could be down as much as 30. Mm. And is that going to continue that fall or will it? Well, with the increase in construction costs and the inability of first home buyers to pay more, mm. I, I mean, I, 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 I don't see that going up. I, but I, you know, I kind of feel that those prices are now getting down to a level where it's, it's economic to build again, maybe not mm. at the moment, but mm. over the next two or three years. So, mm. so that feels to me like it's probably starting to bottom out a bit as well. Mm. I think the big unknown for me is, is parts of the market that have largely been driven by property investors. Yeah. I think there's still real uncertainty in that part of the market primarily due to government policy. You know, um, we've got an election coming up at the end of the year. The removal of interest deductibility, I still think, has got a way to it's go. It's only a quarter of the interest deductibility that's been removed so far. So there's another three three quarters of it to come. Is that right? It goes to zero, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes to zero. Yeah. So we're, we're, I think we're halfway through so now. Every year but when you take your, ta- your account to the tax yeah. man, he'll, to the uh, accountant, he'll say this is getting worse and worse for you. you know, there's but equally, a, the government, the, a, a different government might reverse that. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it, right? There's a, there's a political risk around yeah. property investment that's yeah. really hard to, yeah. to make sense of. But you'd, you'd have to say that... Um, you know, current policy is certainly not very favourable mm. towards property investors. Well, we can go on forever, actually, but I think we'd better wrap it up there. So, <laughs> so <laughs> my call is there's probably a few more months of modest price falls, you know, less than 1% each month for maybe the next sort of three to six months, simply because interest rates are still high um, and uh, and there's that big, uh, you know, the, the, the Reserve Bank's trying to put the country into recession, which means job losses, which creates uncertainty. So that's sort of the next six months. Then I think we sort of have three to five years of relatively small changes in house prices, you know, um, as we saw post, uh, post, post-GFC as the market recovered. It was, you know, actually a really relatively stable period for house prices. So a bit more down and then, you know, pretty flat for a while. Your view? Yeah, I don't think, uh, look, I agree. I, I, I think we're largely at bottom now, certainly for entry-level pricing. Um, I think there's still some risk in the market and there's going to be parts of the market that have got further to fall. Um, I think out in the provinces, there's still more room for decline because they've been, they, they were slow on the up, and they've yep. been slow on the down. Um, the, the, the final thing that I would sort of say though is that underlying inflation rates and, you know, which translates through to increasing household incomes, I think in a nominal sense means that house prices won't stay flat. I think over the next four or five years, I think you'll see a bit of a price recovery. Now, I think what it means is in real terms, house prices will still be down. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that will recover for a while. But mm. in nominal terms, mm. I think uh, you can't overlook increasing household incomes yeah. to eventually translate yeah. back through into house prices, particularly as interest rates start to come down again. Yeah, yeah. So house prices are approaching a fair sort of level, um, maybe a little bit down, but over the medium to short, yeah, for the medium to long term prices trend up and inflation looks after your mortgage. And of course, uh, maybe to close it out, Squirrel can help you look after <laughs> your mortgage too. That's us for this week. Uh, we'll bit of a meandering conversation, but an interesting one. Yeah. Hopefully everyone finds that interesting. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action. Oh,